It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, aloha and happy Aloha Friday. My name is Ryan Kalisuji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Uh, you know, we've been covering Governor Josh Green and his role, of course, as governor and the appointees that he is picking to lead various departments. Uh, and so we're getting to know some of these leaders, one of whom uh, was recently confirmed by the Senate and focusing on the Department of Hawaiian Homelands. Yes, we are so lucky this morning to welcome the director of the Department of Hawaiian Homelands. Kali Watson is joining us. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, aloha. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it, uh, Ryan and Yunji. Well, we're so excited to have you. You know, you have a very unique perspective, having been in this job under then Governor Ben Cayetano and now sort of under the next generation of leadership, if you will, under Governor Josh Green. I'm interested to know, given your, you know, those two perspectives, how you think the department is different now than when you were heading it up before? Well, it, it's, a, it's a lot different. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, new faces there. Uh, the, the nice thing about it is uh, they have the 600 million to work with, uh, which unlike when I was there, we had also a $600 million settlement, but it was spread out over uh, 20 years at 30 million a year. So having the 600 million, I think will allow us to do a lot more projects. Uh, the commission has already adopted a strategic plan involving about 20 projects, which will result in over 2,700 new lots. Uh, 15 projects across the state from Hanapepe to Kauai to Laiokua, Kona Hawaii, uh, involve vertical construction, which will result in about 2,500 units. Yeah, we want to definitely spend some time talking about that 600 million because we know that is a big part of uh, your responsibility as you head into these next four years. Uh, but I also would just want to start by, by talking about this uh, confirmation process. Uh, you know, this is something that has, uh, we've seen play out through the media, of course, uh, uh, you know, there was someone else who was appointed into your position prior, uh, Ikaika Anderson, which did not receive the votes to lead the department. And you were then uh, put in front of the Senate for this role uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, won the approval of the Senate and now assume this role. Uh, if you can talk to us through that process, uh, what was that like for you? And, and when did you get maybe a call from the governor to maybe step in into this role, if you can explain how that all unfolded for you. Well, the, the process, uh, you know, it, it, it's a tough process. And the, the Senate, they, they have that responsibility of vetting the uh, candidates uh, or the appointments. And so you have to deal with it. And, um, you know, at, at times it can be pretty uh, brutal, as uh, Ikaika found out. And it's unfortunate because I think Ikaika was was qualified. Um, you know, he had been on the job about a, a week, so it, it was tough for the guy. And he's not really familiar with DHHL, but I think with the assistance of uh, some of the people out in the community, as well as the support of the government, I think he would have done all right. But, you know, I'm there now, so I'm looking to, you know, uh, get, get things moving. And we have certain restrictions on 
the expenditure of the funds. We have to do it within by June 30th, uh, 2025. Let's talk about spending that money. Uh, we know that there are roughly 29,000 people on the wait list, give or take. Um, how much of an impact do you think that 600 million can make? And how are you hoping to leverage those funds perhaps to bring in additional money to make that make those dollars stretch a little further? Well, the 600 million is definitely going to make have a major impact on, on the wait list. Uh, I don't think it's enough to get rid of the wait list. And I expect uh, once we get moving, that wait list is actually like when back when I was uh, head of the department, it went from 3,000 to 7,000, even though we did about 3,100 units. So I anticipate a similar uh, re reaction or response uh, when we start moving along. I mean, there's a lot more people out there that could qualify to get on that waiting list. So uh, I think the 600 million uh, is, uh, you know, a step in the right direction. I uh, plan on leveraging that in, in quite a few ways. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, not only the infrastructure bill uh, that uh, Senator Schatz and our congressional delegation uh, generated about 2.8 million or excuse me, billion for Hawaii, uh, we're going to try and access that. The existing strategic plan that was adopted by the commission is kind of heavy on use of infrastructure uh, or expenditures on infrastructure. I want to kind of change that and uh, look for alternative sources besides the federal. You know, there's uh, DERF monies from HHFTC. Uh, there's uh, a lot of other funding sources that we can go after in addition to what we have in the 600 million. One of the other things is this timeline that you have to spend this money. How realistic is it to think that you're going to be able to accomplish that, knowing sometimes how state government works, the processes that are often involved, and how long it sometimes takes some of these projects to launch? Uh, are you confident that you will be able to meet the deadline and timeline that has been established with this $600 million award? Yes, I'm, I'm very confident that we will be able to meet the deadline. Uh, the law or act 279 just requires an encumbrance of the funds by june 30th 2025 so even though the expenditures expenditures may, may go beyond that date the main thing is that we have to encumber the funds by that date uh with respect to the process we're going to take a little bit of a different or actually a major different approach in uh, uh, getting these projects out we're going to use a rfq a request for qualified uh entities to uh, enter into developer agreements uh, with us on each of the specific projects. And by getting them involved, they will do a lot of the uh, design, the financing, acquisition, as well as the construction. Uh, we we'll obviously will be very uh, involved with the process, but based on my experience as a developer, as well as my past experience with the department, I think uh, we need to get out of the way to a certain extent. Of course, we don't. We, we continue continue to monitor it, but at the same time, we use the resources out there and the entities with the expertise and the abilities to get these projects done in a timely fashion. And I think that is going to be a change. Uh, we're also going to increase the uh, number of units done per project. You know, like for an example, a good example is Kapolei. We have about five, six parcels we're developing. Uh, totaling about 700 units. Now, the department in the past has gone kind of piecemeal 
in sequence, uh, infrastructure first, put in our RFP, get that done, then move to the next step, uh, doing one of the parcels and awarding a, a developer agreement for the development of that. I'm going to put them all together, all 700, choose one developer to uh, do all the units one time rather than piecemeal it, which is very not only um, labor intensive, but it's also take it's very time consuming and that I, I don't want to be doing that. So given that uh, different strategy, when you know when you talk about that 29,000, how, how many units do you think you can build with the money that you have and those plans to leverage the money with the, with, you know, with the federal funds, the infrastructure dollars that you talked about, or other funding that may be out there? How many units are we talking about? Uh, you know, what is the measure of success with this money? Well, when I, uh, back when I was a chair, we spent about a little over 160 million to do 3,100 units. So if you do the math, I, I personally think we can do 10,000. Now I'm, I, I'm being, I think maybe overly optimistic, but I think it's possible, uh, especially if we leverage it the way that I've learned how to do it uh, based on my 20 years in being in the private sector, being a developer, and having been very, very successful in doing developments. Uh, you know, this job is kind of a, uh, kind of put me in a position where I can use that uh, experience and expertise, as well as my understanding of current, uh, you know, situation at the department, as well as what happened in the past. I think not only that, I, the, the fact that we have developers out there that are willing to step up, uh, especially local developers to assist, as well as uh, the fact that, you know, I can work with some of the different LE trusts, I can work with OHA, I can work with uh, Lunu Lilo Homes that wants to get into Kapuna housing. Uh, OHA wants to, is interested in mixed use where they do the commercial, we do the uh, housing. Uh, KS, uh, there's some properties uh, which I can't identify yet, but they want to maybe work with us. And, you know, one of the things that's good about DHHL is uh, properties that are in our inventory are automatically entitled. We don't have to go through a 21H or a rezoning or what have you, that typically takes years. You know, look at uh, the Core Ridge development that Castle and Cook did. It took them, I don't know, 15, 20 years, uh, and that's not gonna happen with us. Fortunately, we, we, we're of a different uh, status when it comes to the Hawaiian Home Com Commission's uh, land inventory, which makes it very, very ideal for development. You know, when we're talking about these units, of course, they look very different, correct? Like it, it differs from a community, it differs from island, it could be a home, it could be a, an apartment or condominium of sorts, it could be uh, all different types of structures that are built, uh, really just to help people get into these homes and to bring down that wait list. But I'm wondering how uh, the department is trying to prioritize what type of uh, infrastructure that you, you guys are looking to put up first, whether it be some more of the traditional single family homes, or if you're looking for other units, how do you prioritize where that money is spent? Uh, and, and how do you make those decisions on what project gets to move forward first based on uh, this money and the timeline that you have presented in front of you? Yeah, when the legislature passed Act uh, 279, they uh, provided us some guidance. There was a 2020 uh, beneficiary survey that was done that identified uh, the, on the different islands, uh, you know, the wait lists, which we also have, but it also identified what was desired and preferred by our beneficiaries on the wait list. Invariably, most of them 
uh, about 70 something percent preferred a single family, three, four bedroom homes. Uh, a small segment were okay with being renters as well as doing uh, townhouses. Uh, so we're gonna, to be uh, effective, I think we have to do a little bit more density. Uh, and I believe that uh, going up uh, in, with condos as well as townhouses and others, I think there is a need, not only a need, but uh, especially depending on the location. You know, if you're in uh, urban Honolulu, uh, that might be a little bit more acceptable to live in a high rise. We're doing a project with Sanford Carr at the old Bolodrome site. It's about 278 units, uh, primarily a high rise, uh, one, two bedrooms. There's some townhouses on the lower part uh, that you know, in looking at that, I think this possibility is that even though there are all uh, renters under the uh, award, we're looking at maybe uh, considering uh, turning that into a homestead in which uh, we provide an undivided interest on the land and then on the uh, funding approach for the individual units, uh, they could be CPR and then they could use the uh, uh, funding approach that uh, Sanford is using with tax credits, rental housing revolving funds and bonds, which make them very, very affordable. And so we use that equity to not only subsidize, but more importantly, uh, provide a lot of units. So if we are successful in uh, making that conversion, that'll take over 270 people off our waiting list. So that would be, uh, would those, just so that I'm clear, uh, would those folks then, would those essentially turn into condos or would those remain rental units, but they have a, like they, they own part of the rental units? How, do, how does that actually work? Well, this is actually a new approach uh, regarding high rises and uh, using them as a uh, homestead type situation. That's never been done before. Even the uh, townhouses and multiplexes, that's never been done before. And so during my tenure there, I intend to use that approach, not only to provide a different type of model and uh, you know, something for that we can uh, make available to uh, our waitlisters, but more importantly, uh, you know, it provides a little bit more density so that we can do more units on the limited land base that we have and therefore ad better address the uh, people on the wait, over 29,000 people on the waiting list which I expect to grow. And let's talk a little bit more about that because while the $600 million is a, you know, a, a big investment and something that is historic for the department, you still are tackled and faced with all those others, excuse me, that remain on this wait list. Uh, how do you plan as the director now in knowing that you have the $600 million that you have to focus on, but you also have to look at the future of how to take care of all these others and cut back on that wait list. What other ways or means do you think can be done to address the longstanding issue rather than just a band-aid of a few, you know, this million dollars and this funding now, but long-term, how to eventually begin to chip further away at this, you know, long wait list that we see? Well, I, th I think part of the problem uh, with the wait list and historically what has been the case is that uh, the department has always, you know, done the three, four bedroom homes. Uh, they've always done the, who is the most qualified. In fact, they require the people on the wait list to pre-qualify for this $300,000 mortgage. And as a result of that, invariably, the department has bypassed a whole ton of people on the wait list. 
And that's why we have the Kalima case where a lot of them have died on the waiting list. And even those that have just been recently awarded money, you know, uh, of the 2,700 uh, plaintiffs, about 900 have already died. Uh, so they're, you know, not in a position to enjoy the fruits of their labors in the litigation. But uh, one, one of the things we're going to try and do is, first up, uh, offer uh, different models. You know, we'll have the turnkey, the regular approach. Then we'll also have uh, those uh, that are on the lower end that are 30% or, excuse me, 60% area median income and below uh, that make up maybe half of the people on our wait list. We'll offer them the uh, low-income housing tax credit rent-to-own approach, which we've done in uh, Kapolei in the Olima Lima project, where we had 70 uh, people that uh, they were tenants the first 15 years. Then they were recently, a couple years ago, converted to uh, homeowners. They uh, took out a Nahasa loan for the balance of the loan, which was about 60000 And so the nice thing about that, and during the 15 years that they were renters, they actually had the benefit of living in those homes. So using that, but tweaking it a little bit where they don't have to wait for 15 years to do the conversion, I'm gonna try and issue them upfront uh, on, on the, the underground or undivided interest for the land so that uh, they have a homestead lease on that, but then they have a, a separate deal for the uh, financing of their vertical construct construction or the home, thereby um, not having that 15 year wait and then in the middle of the what we call a gap group, those that are 60% to 100% AMI, we will use part of the 600 million to subsidize the mortgages to bring them down so that they can then qualify. Those that are, make too much to use the LIHTC approach or not enough to qualify for that three $400,000 mortgage. And then we'll also uh, set aside a percentage and improve our working relationship with Habitat for Humanity. So we're going to do some of those types of projects and set aside so many units where individuals or people on the waitlist that want to uh, provide some sweat equity so as to reduce the cost of their house, they'll be able to do that. And we'll also set aside some lots for, uh, and we'll award vacant lots where for the owner builder that uh, homesteaders that figure, hey, you know, I can do it myself, so I can do it cheaper. We'll give them an opportunity. So when you look at the models that we'll now be making available in all these projects, we'll avoid that horrible situation where we're bypassing people on the wait list. And there had been some talk early on uh, when, when this money was first being debated about potentially using some of those funds to help people who already have a home, but not necessarily uh, a home through DHHL, uh, but are are eligible for a DHHL property to then, you know, get get basically essentially a payout to use that toward an existing mortgage on non-DHHL lands. What are your thoughts about that, about giving homeowners essentially, you know, people who own homes already but are qualified uh, to, to get a payout and to help them with the land that they already own? Yeah, I know that was that's being considered, but uh, there's some real legal issues on that use of these funds for, you know, uh, houses off of our trust lands. So at this point, uh, that's not something we're looking at. You know, also just when we're talking back about the funding mechanisms, uh, is is the conversation being had with lawmakers during the session or possibly in the future for 
say another 600 million. I know you'd mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, the efforts with the federal side and, and trying to ensure some of these other grants that are going to be helpful and essential for moving. Oh, these yeah, forward. we're always looking for money, guy. <laughs> but how uh, realistic project. do you think yeah. that, that will be? I mean, is begging, that a conversation? So, uh, yeah, no, no, we, but we got to spend the money first. So that, that's why they put a deadline on it to see, hey, can, can college do it or, or can the department do it? So we're going to hopefully uh, uh, assure them by action and results that we can spend it. And then, uh, like I said, I anticipate the wait list to actually increase. So there's going to be need for more money. So hopefully we can perform just like the Nahaza money that uh, Senator Schatz and our congressional delegation has uh, increased to $22.3 million a year, which for a while was only $2 million a year. He's expecting us to spend the money. And uh, unfortunately, uh, there was a few years where we weren't spending it. Uh, there was a lot of money that uh, was lost because of, you know, with federal funds, if you don't spend it, you lose it, but you also don't get any more. So we're, we're trying to, um, you know, use those funds for other things, such as transitional housing, working with the, the Shah and the different associations uh, for those guys that don't fit into any of the models. And, you know, they need a little uh, guidance and a place to live, uh, as well as uh, the services of uh, multi-service centers that we also will set up in conjunction with these transitional housing uh, projects located in the home setting and project areas. Uh, we're also looking to use some of the Nahaza money for uh, building what we call ADUs or accessory dwelling units uh, and working with the 9,000 existing homestead uh, uh, people out there that uh, in a lot of cases have these large yacht, uh, uh, lots that could easily accommodate an, another unit uh, on it, which they can then rent out to other uh, Native Hawaiians that, that need a place to live. So that would be one of the ways maybe we can address the, you know, one third of the homeless out there are Hawaiians. So why not empower and provide this other uh, form of housing in the form of rentals in the homesteading communities managed by our beneficiaries for the sake of probably in many cases their own ohana to provide additional housing. I mean, you are talking about just sort of firing on all cylinders here. I'm interested to know about the workforce that you have at DHHL and if you have the resources to really stand all of these programs up, because you're talking about really expanding this program in a very fundamental way. Yeah, we're going to uh, first we're going to have to fill we're missing about 40 percent of our staff. We, we have about 200 we're missing about 80. So we had a job fair uh, yesterday or the other day, uh, we also have uh, put on our website, which is dhhl.hoi.gov, uh, the uh, jobs list, that uh, jobs that are available for people that are interested. They can go on the, the web and uh, submit an application that way. Uh, we've reached out, uh, you know, I've gone on radio and even on this uh, particular uh, venue, I'm, I'm asking, for people out there that are interested in working uh, for the state, you know, we have a lot of jobs available, uh, you know, from land management agents, planning, uh, architects, uh, need engineers, we need accounting clerks, uh, we need information officers, administrative assistants, all kind of different uh, positions that uh, we need to fill. Uh, in addition to that, we are going to work with the different uh, service providers out there. Uh, whether it's financial as, as well as counseling, 
you know, we want to work with CNHA, uh, with uh, job developments, working with Catholic charities regarding counseling, Hawaiian community assets, uh, regarding uh, prepping them for home ownership, as well as, uh, you know, just getting them ready to get a homestead. So there's a lot of, and there is a need not only to fill the staff that we're missing, but more importantly, uh, continue to work and maybe provide funding to enhance the service providers out there that will invariably work with us. And we had talked a little bit about this uh, earlier, but I wanted you to expand just from your perspective of being someone who has seen the department evolve uh, from your time under the Cayetano administration to now stepping back in. Uh, and beyond just, I know you said there's a lot of new faces and things have changed uh, with this awarding of money. Uh, but just from your perspective, where the Native Hawaiian community stands right now, compared to some of the things that you've seen uh, and that you experienced your, your time leading the department and how vastly different and how things have evolved uh, to now. You know, it, it's really, to me, it's very, very exciting in a sense that uh, you have the different elite trusts. Uh, you have OHO that's just gotten a bunch of funding as well as, uh, you know, increased funding on an annual basis. Uh, as well as uh, they have real lands that are excellent. And uh, whether it be in Ivale or Kakako Makai, you know, there's, uh, in Kamehameha, they have a ton of lands all over the place. They have some adjacent. Uh, they've started to, like in Nanakuli, they put in a cultural learning center on DHHL. On another site, they put in a multi-service center. Uh, they have their preschools throughout the state. So it it's... Uh, you also got Luna Lilo Homes. They have a new CEO that I, I really like. The guy wants to uh, expand the services uh, at, uh, that Luna Lilo provides for our kupuna, which is another exciting thing. Uh, you know, the idea is to work with these different elite trusts that have a, a change in leadership from when I was, you know, first at DHHL. Not only do they have the resources, but they have the similar mindset in uh, getting things done. And what I like is the collaborative mentality that I'm seeing. You know, a lot of them have out, uh, reached out to me and vice versa. And I, uh, I think when you look at the results, not only are we going to uh, be judged on the number of units we build, but I think we're going to be judged on the partnerships we develop, whether it's a Luna Lilo or sponsored DHHL, land-based uh, kupuna housing project, whether it's mixed-use uh, uh, development with Kamehameha schools. Uh, you know, there's also the Shah. We, the, you know, I'm hoping they can start to develop these transitional housing that they can manage and run and fill, especially as a way to relieve the overcrowdedness, but more importantly, the preparation of their uh, future beneficiaries that need to be prepped for home ownership. So when you look at uh, not only the housing that we're going to be building, but if you look at the partnerships that are going to be uh, established and more importantly, uh, the, the variety of types of partnerships and developments, it's an exciting time. Yeah, we are just about out of time, but I want to give you one opportunity just to sort of wrap up. You know, what, what I hear throughout our conversation this morning is just a lot of optimism in the future of this department. Um, you know, going from the private sector to now taking this on, I'm, I'm sure that it is a ton of work uh, day in and day out. What is keeping you motivated and, and what is keeping you so positive about the prospects of this department? 
Well, I just found out about B12. <laughs> so I'm thinking <laughs> B12. So hopefully I got to see if that bugger works. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I guess uh, what keeps me motivated is the idea of helping uh, people out there. And working with the different elite trusts and just seeing things coming coming together, falling in place. And it, it's a very exciting time. And I, hopefully uh, those that are frustrated on the waiting list and the complainers, rather than be a complainer, think about uh, something you can do and become a part of that moves the needle forward. All right, Kali Watson, thank you so much for joining us this morning, giving us an thank update you. on all that's happening within the department. And uh, we look forward to Speaking to you in the future and hopefully with uh, more better news of, of the progress and just getting an update in the future about all the things that are going on within your department. So thank you so much. Mahalo. Aloha. Great to hear from him. And, you know, it's really interesting because we've been tracking this money for a number of years now since the allocation was made and even when it was first being discussed. Uh, to see where the rubber meets the road, how they're actually going to start acquiring lots, building units, uh, figuring out just a variety of different kinds of units that could be where we could see some high rise apartments. We could also see, of course, the single family homes. Uh, the idea of actually giving folks a payout, that's something that had been discussed. It doesn't sound like that is something that is going to be a uh, part of the mix here. But really talking about leveraging that money, Ryan, you know, initially the thought was that that 600 million could would probably chip away at about 10% of the 29,000 on the list. He's talking now about potentially being able to turn that into 10,000 units, which is a, a you know a very significant difference. Yeah, he said he's very optimistic about that, but realizes that there may be some challenges ahead. But as you mentioned, looking for different mechanisms and ways to get individuals off that list beyond just the tradition of single family home, but looking at other ways to go vertical with condo units, working with other developers who might be interested in other models uh, and, and different ways in which to help to overall just produce a higher number or higher volume of units to help just cut away at that wait list, but also recognizing that this is a long-term goal that this right now is their focus the 600 million to spend down to prove to the legislature that this is something that the department can handle uh, but also recognizing that they're going to need to eventually go back and ask for more money and more funding uh, but very critical for the department right now to prove that this is something that they can be trusted with with this money with the timeline that has been presented and ensuring that uh, they're able to execute all that they're that they have set out to do which includes some moderations and uh, some changes in the operational side of how they would go about building these homes uh, and trying new efficient means to make sure that they can do this in a quicker fashion. Yeah, and you know, he said that he expects the list to actually grow, that there's more awareness, of course, of the resources that have now been allocated to the department and there could be renewed interest. So, you know, the 29,000 now could grow to more folks who are eligible and, and really, you know, need these units. So we'll be tracking this, um, but we do love his enthusiasm and it sounds like he's got a lot of ideas. He also has a lot of need, 40%. Uh, you know, of staffing need there. And he's saying that he needs it all. Architects, planners, admin, you name it. So um, really encouraging people to join up with the department to explore those employment opportunities and see if there is a place for you to be part of what he calls moving the needle forward and being part of the solution. Uh, on Monday, we shift gears. We're talking about rail again. It's been a while since we've caught up with Lori Kahikina. Uh, the mayor in his state of the city address did say that he expects people to be on the train by this summer. So we're going to check in with her, see if that's actually the case.
Yeah, a lot of excitement happening there. Uh, so great to get an update from her on all the things that are happening regarding Rail and Heart as things continue to move forward on a project that uh, many people are, I think, excited about actually seeing riders uh, on the rail line in just a few months. So looking forward to that conversation on Monday. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha.